There it is. We've got it, Angelo. The red dots up there. We're live. And this is The Fall Line with KS and Company. I'm Dave Capron. I'm here with my partner, Angelo Ross. Hey, Angelo. Hi, Dave. Hey, we're here. And I want to let everybody know out there that um, hopefully they'll uh, help out some of our sponsors. The sponsors are doing a great job this year. We have Technical Blizzard as our sponsor and friends of the podcast. We also have Nick's Boot Fitting over in Vermont near Mount Snow in Westover that um, is a sponsor of the podcast. So, it's always great to help those guys out because they're helping us out to keep this going. And we have an amazing, amazing coach tonight. We're so psyched. Angela and I are honored to have Dave Wen on the podcast tonight. 50 years in the PSA organization and uh, has both been in the race world and is still in the race world with NICEF in New York and here with PSA with us in the East. Um, welcome to be with us here, Dave. Thanks. Well, thanks, David. Thanks, Angelo. It's uh, I look at it as a privilege to be able to um, address and be, be be part of this thing that you guys are doing, which I think is really cool. And uh, uh, I'm humbled and I'm honored, quite honestly. Yeah. So, so you're out in your boat shop right now. And uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, my, my wife doesn't my wife doesn't like to hear a lot of ski talk. So. <laughs> so. Yeah, this is where I do my work out here. Ugh. See, I'll show you. That's one of the projects I'm working on right now. Oh, that's, that's awesome. A, it's a 1936 Garwood, and uh, the the owner wants a complete, authentic restoration. So that's that's what we're doing. It'll take about um, five six hundred hours, and probably take me into wow. August. Wow! So that's amazing. And I have multiple. I have multiple projects. Jeez, that, that's that's pretty much artist work right there. Angela. Thank God, ski season. <laughs> well, there, there's a fine line between between artwork and being functional. Yeah. You know, you don't want to take it far into the artwork, or the guy will kind of be unhappy with the bill. Yeah. <laughs> God. So, hey, as we start the pot, oh, you got something, Angel? I'm sorry. I, no, just, that's a, I couldn't tell for a minute there if he was talking about skiing or working on boats, because it's a fine line <laughs> yeah. between science and artwork on the ski hill, too. Yeah. 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 yeah that's a good point, well, Angel. And I, 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 hope, I hope that we are all trying to go to the art side of skiing to be good, to be really good. Here, here. Uh, and and how did it start for you? You know, thinking about the art and the science and, you know, all the times I've had to be able to go skiing with you, we're, we're so much into the ski talk and kind of that moment. I mean, I don't even know when you started, how young, where in the country, who taught you? I mean, how did the beginnings of Dave, when the skier start? Listen, you're asking me to go back a long way and I have a hard time remembering what I did yesterday. So let's, let's, let's try this. Let's try this. High school, high school ski club, jumped in the bus, went to Greek Peak, took a few lessons at Greek Peak, um, had a really good friend that was an excellent skier. Um, I figured he's the one I should hang on, hang on with. So in those early moments during the, you know, high school years, I did a, I did a lot of lifting and shifting, pivoting, sliding, skidding, jumping to get around the corner. And, uh, Eventually, I picked up on what what my friend was doing, and it's we we started to ski pretty good, pretty competently uh, at Greek Peak, and that's when I said, you know, uh, his, his name was John Casella, 
I said, Johnny, let's, uh, let's join the ski school, see what happens. So we joined the ski school, and luckily that the Greek Peak Ski School is, was at that time, and it probably still is, was a very serious, professional, international ski school led by a guy that was a perfectionist, Gordy Richardson. And there was a lot of this that came out of there. You know, I can think of Terry Barber, Mick O'Gara, Liz Starr. I think Tom Butler was out of there. And I'm probably missing, missing a few when I, make, when I say that. So we were, we were told that, that if you go to certification, you will, not, you will not fail. But you couldn't go unless you were going to pass. <laughs> so five of, us, five of us went to... In 1968, we went to Holiday Valley for our certification process. And, the, you know, at that point, it was intimidating. Examiners were very intimidating. They were uh, Europeans. They were Canadians. There was, you know, it was Cal Cantrell and Otto Fry and, you know, Ray Allard. It was a serious group of people. And we, and we, had, it, we had to do it in the first day. Was a was in December, a foot of wet snow. So that was the that was, you know, and to do side slips and traverses in wet snow, heavy wet snow was was a challenge. But we all passed. Five of us passed, which was pretty cool. So, so from there it just started to it started to evolve. And Greek Peak at the time also had a really good ski racing program, a good junior race program. Uh, had a Canadian coach there by the name of Mike Annette. And as I started to watch what they were doing, I'm saying, you know, there's something different going on here in terms of a technical development, technical understanding. And I, and I just said to him, hey, can, can you put me on your staff? And sure enough, not having a clue of what I'm doing, but paying attention to what's really going on. Um, and as I continued to evolve in the program with it, I finally became the, the head coach of the Greek Peak Ski Club. Um, Ran that for a number of years, 1972, went to Lake Placid, started me, and I actually ran that sports academy for 35 years uh, and, uh, re and finally retired, ski coaching, teaching skiing, and working on wooden boats. So that's, that's the history. But along the way, there's been, a, you know, you, I've seen a, a tremendous amount of changes in, in equipment and technique and, and, and uh the philosophy of PSIA and what we think about, what's important. So it's been a, it's been a very, very exciting and educational journey for sure. You know, it's, um, uh, I'm, I'm grateful that I've had that chance and, uh, and, you know, pretty proud that I've stuck with it and learned, learned a lot and uh, made a lot of friends and helped a lot of people be better skiers. So anyway, rambling, sorry. No, that's good because I mean those are the things we haven't heard at at dinner. We get out there and we start talking about you know what the snow is like and and how we were skiing and what we were doing, what we were working on, and we we kind of don't always get into those days, early days, and what was going on. But um, I, and, can I just yeah, let me just jump say in. that um, it's inspirational to hear people because and I maybe I take inspiration from it because this was my story too. Um, who got involved through high school ski club? Because like when you get in that room, like when we get in that room at examiner training, there's a lot of pedigrees in there. There are a lot of people with a lot of family history who were, you know, out of the mm -hmm. womb on a pair of skis. That wasn't my story. That always gives me a little bit. I always have a little bit of imposter syndrome around you all, <laughs> you know, but here's, 
Dave Wen, who also got started in a high school ski club. And I just, that's inspirational. And I think, you know, people like hearing that stuff. It was intimidating, too, because I wasn't very good. I really wasn't very good at all. But, you know, passion. Passion drives a lot of learning. Yeah. So, and and how did you have the two worlds? The race. I mean, here in the U.S., our our race world, our USSS and and PSIA ASI kind of don't have a lot of collaboration, especially at times none. Um, how did you coexist, and how did that work for you through so many years? Well, I guess I. Um, it, that's a that's a good question because it's going back that far. I don't quite. I don't quite remember the sequence. I just know I stayed actively involved in PSIA. Probably didn't do a lot of events and it didn't, I did, went to my workshops and went to my updates and so on. But I really focused on being a ski coach. I wanted to be a ski coach. I got my level 100, my level 200, and finally got a level 300 and just lived in that environment. That was the environment that really intrigued me. Um, but I always sort of stayed close to, to PSA, but I didn't until the development team tryouts came to Whiteface. So I got into it, um, had a tryout. I was number 10 of 10. Uh, Ray Allard was one of the examiners and told me at the end, he says, you know, you know, Dave, he says, you really, really don't know what's going on in this organization, do you? But it's a good thing you know how to ski. <laughs> so we'll, we'll put you in as number 10 guy and see what happens. And that, that opened up a whole world that opened up the whole new world of, of education and learning that. And I think that I just had last in April, we had a pretty good breakthrough for our organization with us ski team development program, because camp for U16s at Sugarloaf, Maine and the, that women's camp and a men's camp, and the first two days of the camp, the groups were led by PSIA examiners. So I went up for the Mensington and myself. We took out two groups each day for two days and took these kids, these 16 boys skiing, free skiing and skiing development uh, on GS skis. Coach tagged along and I was pretty nervous. I was pretty nervous about how we were going to be accepted because all along the way through this, I've always felt that we have been sort of underdogs in their opinion in certain places. But on the other hand, a lot of examiners have also helped coach the ski team in their development phase. Sean Smith was a, an example of that, um, who went and did a lot of camps for the U.S. ski team. So there was certainly some good connection, but I don't think in a, in a broad scope, we had a good connection. So we had two days at Sugarloaf. There was no bottom to the snow. Uh, the boys were on their 27-meter GS skis, and they had it on a GS ski, and that's roll it up at the top of the turn, bring it down the hill on it, bring it do that on soft, wet, heavy snow. You lay it up too much on edge, and the next thing you know, you're heading right to the woods. <laughs> and that happened a lot. So we, we skied with the – I skied with the boys in my group the first morning for a run and a half. And I, and I just, we did circle skiing and I watched them ski and it was like, I could tell they were just hating this experience. And sure enough, when I got them all together, at the, I said, so how's this all working for you? 
they put dropped their heads and nobody had anything enthusiastic to say about it all because they had no versatility in their scheme. They had no way to make a transition. They didn't understand about coming into the turn on a, a little flatter ski, feathering it in that heavy snow, getting it set up, rolling it on the edge. And by the time the, the morning was done, the boys started to ski a lot different in that kind of snow on those skis. And those skis are really hard. They're no fun to ski on, quite honestly, I don't think. I mean, you got to... There, you need firm snow. Um, we at Whiteface don't really encourage a lot of GS free skiing unless they're in a um, controlled netted environment. Because of the opportunity for some false cutting and overbalancing, um, and those kids at that speed, Whiteface is pretty narrow and pretty steep. So you can, if you if you lock on an edge in the wrong place in the back seat, you're in the trees. Because so, it's we look look at it as kind of dangerous in some ways, and that's then they can then they can really explore, and we don't have to worry about. It. I have a movement pattern that works on a slalom ski, but it doesn't work that way on a GS ski. You can't be quite as aggressive inside. You can't the ski doesn't work as easy for you as a GS ski would work. So in the end, from from what you're asking about the collaboration, I think we made a big inroad with the U.S. ski team. Sam Damon, who's the uh, Eastern Regional coach um, was pretty pleased with the outcome. I know that uh, talking to the guys that were with me, um, it was a positive outcome. They they had a the kids bought in. We did a lot of different skiing. We skied all kinds of different stuff, and we also realized that it's okay to come up and out of the snow a little bit. It's okay to do a, a real high intensity leaper and we did a lot of leapers to clear the ski from the snow get parents so i think we made some inroads and i hope we can continue to do that and that our impression to them and to those coaches was a positive one so yeah. so it's uh that was that was great that was great yeah that's awesome well it, i asked that because for me i mean a lot of the improvements i've had in my skiing has been from things like the Dave Gregory peak performance race camps that a bunch of us did back in the mid two thousands and early two thousands. And it always seems like when we, we put the panels or put some gates out there in front of us, we're forced to do things that we can get away with and not have to do when there's nothing in front of us telling us where we have to turn. Accuracy. You have to be accurate you have to have good movements and, um, you know, that's the, the world. The world I come from is just that, David. It's a it's all about performance. I've, I've witnessed a lot of good skiing throughout the, these years. So that's my that's probably my narrow mindedness about skiing a little bit where I get into a little bit of trouble is because of what what I've learned from my environment about performance skiing, high energy skiing, dynamic skiing, uh, carved skiing, fast skiing, quick skiing, you know, so that's, and when you're coaching kids, you kind of have to be able to walk the walk, you know, a little yeah. bit. So you have to, you have to be able to at least show those kids that, you, that you, you know how to ski. And through that, I've had a chance to, my skiing's evolved that way, but I think in lots of ways, um, my scheme becomes a little bit single dimension too. Yeah. And and one of the things that you've done a lot of, which I think is cool. And it, this kind of goes, I know Angela will have some follow-ups on this is um, you've, you've um, scored the national team tryout 
a couple of times or more than that. And, um, you know, that gets into a lot of off-piece skiing, um, still good skiing, but it definitely, it's not that hard, firm, fast all the time, that environment you're usually coaching in. Um, and, and that doesn't seem to be a problem at all for you to find good skiing and see good movements. How do you view those two and how do they fit together that off-piece good skiing and the race world? Well, I, I, I kind of go back to what I would, my, the number one fundamental I go to that I think, and my disclaimer here is that this, there's nothing I say is fact. It's, it's opinion. It's what I think. So that you can take that or leave it and, you know, you won't, don't take it to the bank. Um, I, so my number one fundamental go-to is the, is the, is the relationship of center mass to base of support. And if you set that up correctly in the transition phase or the edge release phase, I think you gain access to the other fundamentals that apply. Meaning you have to have finesse at that transition. You have, and I've also learned too, about the value of using a flat ski, how a flat ski works in transition. Um, so I think that between off-piste and firm skiing, it's, it's, that, it's that finesse of setting yourself up so you're, you're moving in a way that's forward through the ski to the slightly to the inside of the ski with a little bit of early inclination to get that to find your base, to find your, your, your platform to move through. I talk to the kids about how to release the ski to flat, roll to an edge, so that they don't eliminate that middle, that middle edge transition phase, I call it. We have transition from turn to turn, but then I also break it down into an edge transition where, where you release the edge, run a flat ski, and go to an edge. Because, because at any time in an edge change, the ski will have will be flat on the snow. And what you do with that is real important in terms of how you feather into the next turn, how aggressive you are to the next turn, how you float into the next turn on that, on that, on that flatter base. And I think it sets it up pretty nice. I learned a lot when I was coaching at Vail because I did a lot of off-piece stuff. I did a lot of a lot of back bowl skiing, and that was a big experience for me, never having done that. So I, I put myself in situations that I felt totally uncomfortable with. Uh, the widest ski I skied on was, was a, a Dina Star 72 underfoot, never anything wider. I figured that if I changed my stance to, if I, if I narrow up my stance, now I've got 140 underfoot, who needs more than that? So, so I learned, I learned how to feel through that stuff. I learned how to breathe in powder. I learned, you know, it's just a great experience, you know, and then, you know, I was in the race world there as well. And so, and I really tried to work on the culture there too, in terms of about the benefit of off-piece skiing, because I knew that I needed that. So I wanted the athletes I worked with to, to experience that as well. So I'm not sure that answered your question. Again, I get, I kind of get on these rambling modes and, you know. I love the rambling modes. Get. And I know Angela's smiling, so he has something to ask. I know it. I, I just, <laughs> I, I like, I, I just love that all these conversations that we have with everybody we respect all go toward versatility. 
and and shaking it up and making yourself uncomfortable. And that that just seems to be a trend. And so it's it's real easy. It's super easy to get uh like uber focused on one thing. It's it's super easy to get unidirectional. But the the theme that has developed on this show for the last you know season and a half is is all about versatility. How many situations can you put yourself in and make yourself uncomfortable and then make connections among these various experiences. And that's how you learn it. And I, it's just, it's great to hear the reinforcement. And, and having the courage to step out of your comfort zone, to challenge yourself over that pitch that you don't know. And, and that takes, you know, it, that's where learning happens. That's, that's where learning comes in. You know, because I I admire some of the people in our BOE. You know, I watch Terry Barber ski down through bumps. It's like, holy shit, how does he do that? How does he do it? Make it look so easy. And I do it. And I struggle and scramble all over the place. So, you know, there is some there are some really good there's some good skiing going on in our organization for sure. Um, so, you know, those are the, you, you learn from watching them. Well, well, if we're going to talk to to the to Coach Wynn, we've got to talk about equipment and I, I definitely a few years ago was was looking at my pole length and um, was nervous to go shorter because, you know, everybody around me on the staff would be going, why are your poles so short? And then I started looking around at some of the gang like uh, Jebs and Matts and Brian Smith and they were on the team, the Alpine team. And I'm like, their poles look short. And they were. And then you've been doing a little research. I know I'm pole length and playing around. Can you describe that a little bit to the listeners? Yeah, well. I've been doing a lot of research on that. Um, and I think of when you think about equipment, I think about the things that have had the, the greatest impact on my skiing. And, and I think it was, oh, I don't know, I'll pick a number, 25, 30 years ago, I put my foot in a Lang boot, never felt more balance in my life, never felt more flex in the ankle, just felt like totally centered on my skis. And I went along and I skied, skied like that. I went to Europe with some athletes, um, free skiing. Somebody, I put my, my poles out there while I went up and set a course and stuff. Somebody stole my ski poles. I grabbed one of the athletes' ski poles and they were full five centimeters shorter than mine. The first three turns, I said, wow, this is different. And I never looked back and I've never skied as balanced as that point. So I'm looking at two things of equipment in my career that's made any impact. Boots, and people laugh at it, ski poles. I figure if I keep my skis tuned, you keep them tuned and it works. But the, to me, the ski pole allows, if it's, if it's a benchmark height, and I go with this benchmark height, and you can change that however you want to do it, but the benchmark height to me, through research, and through my return to ski program with the athletes I work with, I probably all the kids that I do in the return to ski program, I immediately shorten their poles down to 66% of their body height. They struggle with it a little bit. Then all of a sudden they light up and they ski wings. They move into the turn. They have a good athletic stance. They're not getting pole rebound. That's kicking them back in the back seat. It just seems to keep them moving in a good direction, flowing forward into the inside of the new turn. And when that hand swings through, you flow with it and move into the next turn, a light pole, pole touch, and that's really all it is. It's a pole touch and a swing to help release, and then you're into the next turn. That's how I've been able to portray it, forms where I can actually talk about it. 
and give some description and give a little bit of background. But those that, have, those that are willing to try have come back to me and said, well, that, 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 that seems to make a difference. Now, again, it's a benchmark length. I think it's, I think that I use it through this year. I'm going to be working a lot more with U10s and 12s as the program director for U10s and 12s at Whiteface. Um, we will make sure that those kids have a pole length that's appropriate to their height. Nothing long, nothing you're going to grow into. You don't grow into your boots. You don't grow into your ski length. You don't, we're not going to grow into our ski poles. We're going to have it right, you know, so it works. But I think those that are willing, have been willing to try, um, have found it positive. Now on the, on the, on the, on the GS aspect, kids tend to ski a little bit longer pole anyway because the, the, the pole touch pole swing is um, not as evident or as necessary. It's a swing. It's a balance. And I sure don't want to plan their pole in GS. So um, I only am concerned with the, the pole length in slalom and I'm, and, and for free skiing and, when, and even in slalom um, up for debate, but the gate is cleared mid shaft. So that's, so again, you're, you're to the next turn. So therefore the pole is right there. I height, click, move on to the next turn. And the pole swings forward. Um, people say to me, well, you gotta get out of the start. I go, yeah, well, you, you gotta get out of the start, but you gotta make 40 good turns after that. So what's important? You know, and again, it's, and once you become a U19, I think sort of sometimes think our work is done a little bit at that point, because it always got to happen at the development age, the U10, 12, U14 age, even at the U16 age, I think we got to continue to hold a strong culture for skiing development, learning to be a good skier um, and keep that, keep that in mind and, uh, you know, Keep a keep a good blend of 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 good good free skiing, off piece free skiing, technical directed technical free skiing, uh, and so on. I think that's those are, you know, pretty critical critical components of of development. Angelo, I I remember I sent you a text a little while ago when you went to big snow skiing. What was it? Oh my God, you're coming at me about my polling. <laughs> Half a turn, and I was pan, panning across. It was wasn't even focused on me, and my poles were the right length. By the way, sixty six percent of my height. I was just checking, just because I listened to coach. Let me ask a different question. Different, different. Go down a different road yeah. here for a minute, because you wrote, you were talking early on about your first examiners. Dave. Um, and it was a serious group. And um, I'm curious, you, and then a little bit after that, you mentioned you've seen a lot of change. And I, I, I know teaching styles have changed. I know coaching styles have changed over the years. And I, I'm just curious of, on your take on how teaching and coaching styles have changed. I, I'm, going to, I'm going to say that maybe the the customer service stuff comes because the instructor maybe doesn't have enough command of content to be able to interject the content 
in the people side of it to produce some kind of results. So they just go to be, they just go out to be a nice guy, nice lady with them. I don't, I don't know. But what I've, what I've witnessed though in our, in, in stuff currently, because I do do exams and I do watch people out there at, at, uh, even ETS or Eastern team or, or development team and even exams is that the inexperienced, and it's expected that the inexperienced person at this point doesn't have enough command of content to be able to truly interact on the people side, build the trust, build the encouragement, do the motivation, do all the things that are important for somebody to really learn. And when you, and, and because I see, I see that in, the, in, in, in exams is that they, when they're in the teaching segment, they rush to figure out what are we going to do next on the snow? What's the next sequence? What's the next um, maneuver? What's the next thing I want, a piece of progression? Because they don't really know where they're going because they don't have command of content. They're in the, they're in the associative phase. In order to be a good teacher, to really teach people, you have to be in the autonomous phase of technical. It's my belief. And I think that only comes through experience, through your own personal training, and how well you understand skiing, understand what, how you can take one simple move that they do and build on that without getting off into out-of-the-box sort of stuff. Because you want them to have some progress, and you've got to give them simple bites. So when you have command of content, I think you'll be a really good teacher. Until then, I think you will struggle on the people skill because you're trying to figure out what to do next on the hill. If that makes any sense and helps you try to understand your question all in terms of styles, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I do remember early on when I was a younger teacher, it was pretty much about technical maneuvers. Maybe I didn't really care if they had a good time or not. I wanted to make sure they could do a wedge turn or a stem turn or side slip. I, you know, I didn't care if they were scared or not, you know? So, so, but now that all changes. That's all changing as we look at the learning connection and those three components. So what do we value as most important? Dave, what do you value as most important? What do you value, Angelo, as most important? What do I value as most important? Right now, I value people skills because I feel I have enough command of content that I can teach it. I need to engage that person. So when they walk away, they feel like they had a good lesson. They're a little bit better skier. They've made some progress. They still have the passion for the sport, and they're not scared to death, and they'll, they'll come back. That, to me, is the easy side, the, the technical side. So really in the, in the people skills, that's almost associative because I don't really know those people yet. I don't know what's going to make that man or lady come together and make it work. So I can't be focused on the technical. I got to have that in my bag of tricks. So it's kind of my, again, my rambling on that. I, 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 I do get going. So oh, it's a, I think it's a, it's a terrific answer. So if you, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but um, if you have somebody who's maybe working on a level two exam, do you think it, what I'm hearing is I think you think it's, it's really important for them to focus on the content on the, on the technical yeah. pieces. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I, I, I really do. Um, because I see people coming to exams, um, uh, 
ill-prepared, um, missing a movement pattern, um, like they haven't gotten the message on what what we're expecting in the in the assessment activities on terrain that I call centerline terrain. Most of that terrain is groomed blue black. We do most of it there. That's the centerline of our our stuff. And I. And I always ask them, how much have you trained? Who have you trained with? What's, how much are you prepared? And I don't get, I don't get a lot of clarity. I think more people come more for the experience and they're not truly prepared. I don't see a lot of current movement patterns. I see a lot of, um, I see things that by now should have been trained out of them in terms of how they set up a turn, how they, roll the ski up on edge, how they steer on a low edge angle coming into the turn, how they, how they get that work, that tool that's designed to really help them come around the corner. How do they get that set up? I don't see that. I don't see that happening. So um, I, I, I still think what's our, what, what's our message? What are we getting across? What are we, what are we looking, what are we really looking for in those assessment criteria in terms of a current current movement pattern because i still think i see a lot of old school kind of stuff not bad school old school all the ways we've learned to ski are still important they all have places they all have a place in in the lateral side of the the learning phase but center line skiing for us right now are those assessment activities so how we how we accurately set those up and get those people trained is an, is is a question i have you know so, and I, I don't think the focus on content early on is unique to ski teaching or ski coaching either. I, and I remember in, like when I taught high school, all new teachers say I, I was, I was always one day ahead of the kids. It was all about content. And I remember joking with somebody, my, it was maybe my fourth, fourth or fifth year in the classroom. And it, it, it's a point in your career as a school teacher, well, for me anyway, where I could, I exhaled a little bit. I, I could relax a little bit in my room. And I joked that it, was, it wasn't until the fourth year I realized there were kids in the room. I was so worried about content and, and dealing with, with the biology that I didn't even begin to think about addressing the individuals in the room. And that's just a, that's a, but that's a true time, teachers. Right. But in time, Angelo, you grabbed command of the content. Yes. And you probably became a better teacher much better and had better relationships with the kids yes yeah. took time. so you've mm -hmm. got to get that first you got to get that's the foundation of our, our sport is being able to be a good skier and understanding how you are how and why you are a good skier you know and you've got to work on your skiing for christ's sake you got to work on your skiing you got to make every turn count every turn with intention every turn with focus i don't i don't make i don't make a turn that i don't i don't have some assessment of it because i'm so anal about understanding what I'm doing. <laughs> anyway, I remember going to the ETS tryout and everybody was like, oh man, if Dave wins there, he's gonna, <laughs> he's gonna say, let me see the bottom of your ski. I remember, damn it. It was Dave and murmur. And we're standing at the bottom of the hill and he's like, Hey, lift your skis up. Shit. <laughs> Here it comes. But it, no, but it, it's, it's true, right? Gear skis have to be well, tuned and you have to know your shit tells me it, it it tells me about preparation you go to 
Doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. When you talk about equipment, David, I, I, I never go out on the hill with an untuned pair of skis. Never. <laughs> and if I go to an event, if I go to an event, I'll take two pair because the second day, if I wore out yep. the first day, I have a fresh pair for the second day. You know, it's just that that's the yeah. professional yeah. side. That's what's important, right? Yeah. It, it's hard for us. I know for Troy and I, we get in the car and there's, there's never just one pair of skis. The only time I think there was one pair of skis is when we put five of us in one vehicle and we got to go down for a week down south. And it's because we can't fit everything in the car. But there's always has to oh be at least two pairs of skis um, just for that reason. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah that's, uh, <laughs> well, I think that's those are our tools those are, those are our tools that we use you know which um no. No. could bring me into another topic but what is it what's the other topic go, we want to hear go it go ahead oh well <laughs> um I'll, I'll try to put this in the positive a positive statement um i'm pleased to see currently more of our BOE on a, on a more performance ski. I'm starting to see it coming around a little bit. I think we went through, we went through a phase of an all mountain wide underfoot kind of ski. And I, I have a hard time believing that people say, oh, they ski great performance stuff, but I'm not, I'm not convinced. I think that a performance ski in the east uh, on hard surface is what is what helps you grow your skiing. You have to keep up with your equipment. You get into a performance ski that's got a little life, got a little reaction. You have to you have to come to grips with that. You have to adjust your skiing to that. And I think you become a, a more accurate, a quicker skier. I think you become more dynamic. And I think that's that's the performance side of the culture we need to portray and it starts it can come with it can come with equipment and making sure your equipment is 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 right for the snow so i'm seeing more of it i'll put it that way i'd like to see more more people on a slalom ski but that's that's an opinion <laughs> just because i think it it generates energy it's harder to yeah. it's it it brings life to the sport to me it brings life to your feet you know it makes you jump on it and go, you know, so <laughs> it's like doing those tricks on the skateboard. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It brings right. life to your feet or, or breaks your yeah. toes. So hey, coach, <laughs> if, coach, if somebody shows up at a, at an event, not even necessarily certification and they're, they're very, they're very, very skilled skier, but more of a park type skier, more of a skitter, skiddy turns, um, when you're watching that performance, what, what is it about a, a, a park kid or something that you can appreciate when it's a really good skier? It's the same thing I would in a, in a regular Alpine person, speed control, balance, um, versatility, um, some shaping. I mean, all the skis will shape a turn. All of them can shape something. You can steer every ski into a turn. I just, you know, I, 
I look for balance, not the, not the sit back, tips up in the air, going crazy, just good, good balance, good skiing, good speed control, man, speed management, speed management. Sometimes I see those guys just running away. Well, and that might be their style, but I'm, I'm not a fan of runaway skiing. Uh, I think that that shows just even if you're going to slip around the corner, if you're going to if you're going to guide around the corner, at least you can maintain some speed and keep the ski turning and steering through the turn. Maintain balance to control the tip, control the tip, and just be balanced. But when you start to see runaways, they're out of balance. They don't have turn finish, um, and uh, I've I've seen it. I've seen quite a quite a bit of that, and that. That concerns me that there's something missing in their technique. So, you know, I appreciate good park skiing because it's, you know, all those, that's fun. That's spirited, spirited good skiing. And those guys, those kids, they get down the hill and they have a ball. You know, they're doing tricks. I mean, that's, that's really cool stuff. My son was a freestyle skier, so I appreciate it. You know, I mean, I've watched him come off skyward on a pair of his, on a pair of, I don't know what they are, 88, 92 underfoot. Dina stars made six turns down sky. We're making super G turns skiing. Like it was like, you just got it. No big deal. No big deal. So I said, Holy smokes. That's, that's pretty cool. I've also seen, and I remember this, this story pretty distinctly. There was the Eastern team trials at Whiteface. It was the year that Brian Smith uh, took home the gold. We we're at the top of sky. We're getting ready for their free run. And, and the, with the free run went all the way from the top of sky. We're down into the, into Niagara. So it was a really long, long pitch. Um, and we were all spread out on the hill. So I was the top guy. I was the, I was the high up. I'm never the top guy. I was up on the higher end of the, of the list. And, you know, by the time they got to me, most of them, were out of control. They were just hanging on to try to find some place to manage something, except for Smitty. Came out of there, had a plan, had, had some patience, got going, got his rhythm in the first five or six turns with some really good turn completions and manage that hill so then he could open it up and, and control it that way. He never got out of control unless he, and he, he managed his speed. There's a difference between managing your speed and being out of control. That's not bring it through the turn, finish the turn off, which a lot of people just had, had no respect for the hill. And then we saw it again at another tryout, and I think that might have been I was, Jeb Boyd was there, was white face. We came down, ladies downhill. Uh, and the same thing. By the time they got to me, this time I was on the lower part of the hill. By the time they got to me, there was no more turn shape, gone. So what's going on there? What, what's, what's happening in that world? Why is that going? So why do we lose speed control? Why don't we have respect for that in, in terms of being able to man? If you can manage, to me, if you can manage, from the fall line to turn completion, that last half of the turn, if you can manage that, you're showing me a lot more technical ability. Because it's easy to get to the fall line, come out of the fall line, release the ski and go. But it takes a little bit more effort to bring it across the hill 
activate the inside leg, which is to me been been I've learning through my own skiing that the in edging of the inside foot is a real controlling factor in turn finish and being able to engage that inside ski. So bring it through to the turn completion, bring it across the hill and then release and go into the next. And now you can manage most anything on the hill. And that's a, that's a, to me, that's a higher degree of technical ability in, in terms of being able to do that. So I, I look at that and, you know, you, you mentioned some of your questions, what, what pisses me off? Well, in this sport, nothing pisses me off because there's nothing to be pissed off about. It's what disappoints me a little bit in certain things, you know, and that might be one of them too, is, it's, is that runaway skier, that runaway activity in a free run. You know, you see it, you see it a lot, you see it a lot. So. So at a, at a couple Ed staffs ago, I think it was our last Ed staff, but it's a couple of years ago. Cause we've had COVID and we can't get yeah, together and I'm pretty disappointed as when people listen to this, they'll start to hear that we were going to have a great week this week. Some of us said staff are going to big snow and hopefully big snow recovers. They had a fire down there and we were all looking to go skiing down there on Wednesday, but you made some comments at our last ed staff training that talked a lot about, um, you know, talk to the younger staff on in the ed staff room there. It also talked to the older staff, and you were trying to make the emphasis that um, the old folks in there still have stuff to give and that the young crew has a lot to give, but we need to learn from each other. And there's a lot more still to give to the younger staff. And I, I just thought that relates a lot to ski school staff, ski and snowboard schools, kind of like it does in our room. And do you remember those comments you made? Yeah, I do. Because we've all, we've all been through, um, being new members in the club, right? We all, we've all been there. And I see this, this new generation, I see their excitement, um, the pride in having achieved and making it to our organization. I see that. They've worked hard to get there. And as we started out, we looked to, um, we looked to the, the veterans, so to speak, to, to, to guide us through never dared saying anything in any setting, in any meeting would I ever say anything because I just figured it's just going to be wrong. And I'm feeling that we need to just embrace them right now. I mean, we have a wealth of knowledge. They want this knowledge and we have to be in a position to give it to them. It's almost like I'd like to spend more of my time with that group. Um, and and nurture and, and and show them and and talk to them about what what we think is important the things that you thought that were that you looked up to when you joined the organization david yeah and angela you you looked up to people i mean crabs we're always looking up to who who's going to give us good information who do we want to watch ski who says who's who do we think is a good teacher who do we want to ski with and that's what we need to sort of foster. I mean, there's some, got some really good professionals in our organization. And to me, it's a, it's a real privilege to be part of that. And I know that they feel that. I see it. I see the activity and their communications on base camp and how they act at, at training. And, you know, it's, it's, it's refreshing. It's refreshing. But I really want them to be good. I want them to be performance-minded. I want them to work on their skiing. I want them to ski with intention and I want them to feel confident with themselves because no matter what, 
we are always on stage. D Troy, who worked really hard and was under a lot of pressure to make that team, yeah. he has no idea yet what pressure he's up against coming forward. He's going to be watched with everything he does because of where he is in his in the profession and how he's and when and when he's out in front of people. He's going to be watched for the next four years. We are all watched whenever we're out there. And I want everybody to have the confidence, the command of content to not get wrapped up in figuring out what that's all about, but focus on being that, that personality out there that motivates, encourages, and, and helps. And, and we, have to, we have to show that to these people. We have to show them how, to, how that happens through our own action and our experience and, and our willingness to build that relationship. Some of them I didn't think, that, think when I was young that they wanted to talk to me, you know, like, ah, you know, he's <laughs> just coming up through. We don't care about him, <laughs> you know. But now, you know, at, at that point, I didn't, I didn't dare say a word. I didn't, I didn't, I never led a group. I never, didn't dare say a word. Now, now maybe I find myself speaking too much. So, okay. I, I definitely you know, have to tell you, you I like you when you start point, speaking. I guess you get to the point where you, you get to the point where you just don't give a shit anymore. You just got to <laughs> say what you think. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's awesome. What do you got left for him, Angela, here before we finish up? Uh, I'm I'm just so glad you wanted to come on, Coach. Uh, and I, oh, I awesome. your your reputation is is well deserved. Um, and I have tried to ski behind you Thank and you. it is befuddling, but I, I think the most <laughs> inspirational thing about you is your high expectations and your complete lack of ego. And I, I thank you for that because it it's, that's inspirational. Yes. Yeah. He's, he's speechless. <laughs> well, that's our job. Our job is to, uh, aspire to be inspiring. We need to, it's great. Thank you. Thank you very much for allowing this opportunity. Appreciate it.